Prologue They say actions speak louder than words? Maybe. But words do a hell of a lot more damage. Even well-meaning words spoken by well-meaning people. People like Sister Patricia Mary Terrio. She was my catechism teacher when I was seven years old. Until she ruined my life, I loved her more than anything, because, unlike the other nuns at St. Isabel's, she was pretty and nice, and she always smiled. Her favorite subject was the power of God's love. We once spent an entire 90-minute class answering the question, When does God's love seem most real to you? Other kids talked about playing with their pets, or spending time with their parents, or waking up on Christmas morning. Not me. When I open up my big box of 72 Crayola crayons. The other kids laughed at that, but Sister Patricia smiled and asked me why I felt that way. I said, I don't know, even though I did know. She would understand, and I could tell her after class, but not in front of the laughing kids. The reason was actually very simple, even if they were too stupid to get it. There wouldn't be colors called burnt sienna and hot magenta and aquamarine. If God didn't love us, there would just be brown and red and blue. My mother, raised to worship God with fear and trembling, did not approve of Sister Patricia. She called her the hippie nun, which, of course, made me like her even more. The first time I dropped acid, this was later, long after catechism classes and church and even prayer had been a part of my life, I had a vision of Sister Patricia holed up in her nun's sanctuary bedroom, or at least what I imagined it to be, dark and dreary, with enormous posters of the Blessed Virgin taped to her wall, glowering down at her, scary and accusing and bitter. Her one small window faced north toward the cold, letting in only cold light, cold air, cold love. In my vision, she was wearing a beautiful tie-dyed habit, kneeling on her stone floor, head bowed, praying to God. There was a light rattling, tapping, rustling sound at the window that startled her out of her meditations. She floated to the window and opened it up. And when she did, it let in a rainbow, pure and just as vivid as my crayons had once been. The beauty of it enveloped the cold, dreary room and filled it, filled her, with the love of God. I was nineteen, holed up in my one-room apartment with some guy I'd met two hours earlier. I still can't remember his name, but his hair was goldenrod, and his eyes were sky-blue. But when I was still seven, before I knew anything about the wonders of psychedelic drugs and Pink Floyd and casual sex, I only knew that Sister Patricia was the coolest person I'd ever known. I felt that way right up until she taught us our final lesson for the year. It began innocently enough. Your heart is like soil. Love grows there. The parable of the sower planting seeds the sower is God, the seeds are his word. They fall here and there, some on bad soil and some on good. She told us first about the good soil where the seeds can take root and grow. That's what she, what God, wanted our hearts to be like, lovely and soft and fertile, ready for planting.
just like spring. Every one of us knew what she meant, because there were lots of big, smelly, fertile farms in Brookfield, Maine, with acres and acres of soil. Then she told us about the bad soil. There was probably more than one type of bad soil in the parable that she explained to our class that day. In fact, there must have been, because she talked about it forever. But the only bad soil I heard about was this. As the sower was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled and... Path. Trampled. Bad soil. I thought of the path that my old... Well, I cared a little, but I cared more about proving that I was right. That I was all right. Good things could grow on the path. I knew it. All I had to do was make the ground soft and fertile, just like spring. I scraped and scratched with my fingers, my fingernails imitating the huge machines that graded our road every year. I uncovered a rock just below the surface, the size of my hand. Couldn't budge it. I took off my plastic forest green headband, my brown hair spilling everywhere, and used it as a shovel. It snapped in half, which was even better. I dug and dug and dug some more, dirt wedged underneath my fingernails and crusted in between the teeth of the headband. The rock came out. It left behind a gaping hole, a crater, and that was perfect. I just had to fill it up, fill it in. The beginning of June was too early for wildflowers, so I settled on grass and dandelions, used my headband shovel, dug underneath the soil beside the path. Good soil, good roots and dirt, filled in the hole, packed it down. There was no water nearby, so I spit on it and spit again, kept spitting until my mouth was dry. That would do it. I ran to Jason's house and took turns doing swing set races. I lost. My legs were too short. Oreos and milk, more races. I lost again. Then the rain came, a light drizzle that would turn into a downpour. I ran back toward our house, right behind Dave, but stopped halfway. My little garden was still there. I smiled at it, because I was right. I was all right. But the next morning, I went out bright and early before breakfast, before church, and my garden was gone. Just a hole, and it was half filled with sticky mud, The grass and dandelions had been washed away, somewhere, out of sight, gone. Within three days, it was completely filled in, more dirt and pebbles, and by the end of the week, it was trampled down again, hard ground. And I couldn't tell that there had ever been a garden there at all, couldn't even see the crater. Hard ground, where nothing would grow.